All right, guys, grab a seat. Exciting, exciting day today. Um, we have a special guest with us to preach the word. His name is Sean Carew. He's the founder and director of the Providence Rescue Mission. And he's preached in our uh, church in the past, and he always brings a lot of life and uh, energy. And he's, well, you have to be full of energy to do what he does in overseeing the Providence Rescue Mission. I mean, the mission is, is open every single day of the week. Uh, they have a chapel, they preach the gospel, they're feeding people every single day, they have a discipleship program, there's all kinds of different things that are happening. So they, it is like full-scale uh, ministry to people in need in the city. Uh, so we, we believe in this ministry. We've been part of this ministry uh, for many, many years. You know, we'll go in, we'll preach, we'll, we've served at different points. Um, we just, we love what these guys do. And so to kick it off, we are gonna, we're actually gonna show a video um, about, I haven't seen it yet, but hopefully it's not heresy or something. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm, sure it's a great, I'm sure it's a great video. But it's uh, just to give you a little taste of uh, what they do, or maybe somebody, I think it's somebody's testimony, actually, that's been changed through the mission. Uh, so we're going to do that first, and then uh, Sean is going to uh, come up and, and minister the word. And Sean, you have plenty of time, really, because... Um, yeah, a little extra time. So I told him 30, but you can go, you can go 40. Uh, the clock's right back there. Oh, just, just get us out of here at 11.30. That's it. That's all we want. <laughs> um, but let me open in prayer first that, that God would touch our hearts. Father, we thank you for um, orchestrating this day. Uh, we thank you for the grace of God. We thank you that your presence is here, that we don't have to uh, conjure you up or call you down, that you are with us. And Lord, I don't know every single person in this room, but I know that you know every hair on every head. You know every single person, every need. You know whether we're in a, in a place of rejoicing or a place of mourning. And so I pray that through the preaching of the word today, that you would meet needs, that you would just speak to us the things that, that we need to hear. Um, Lord, your word is powerful. Your word changes our lives. Lord, just even one phrase, one tailor-fit uh, sentence can, can just uh, catapult us out of uh, darkness and into light. Your word can raise the dead spiritually. Lord, you can do anything through your word. So we are asking for the word to come today. Uh, just bring it and, and, and just, yeah, revive our hearts. Let us go out of this place today at 11.30. Let us just go out with joy and with uh, like a certain passion to do the will of God. Hallelujah. So Lord, we're excited to see what you're going to do today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, we only have one video projector working. Sorry, you're going to have to. All right. I shouldn't be alive. in a uh, city called Pawtucket, Rhode Island and a housing projects in Pawtucket called Prospect Heights 
At the age of 11, I started experiencing drugs and being introduced to drugs. Growing up in a projects, I mean, you see deaths, you see people getting killed, you see people, you know, uh, selling drugs. So you're like, I want that lifestyle because you see them driving fancy cars. So that's what the lifestyle you see. And that's what everything that's going on in the projects, pretty much. You know what I mean? You don't see nothing different. And you don't normally leave the projects because everything's right there at your fingertips. Even when you move out of the projects, uh, you still have that project mentality. You're still into drug selling. You're still into drug using. You, it doesn't come out of you. You just don't leave it and then, you know, so you bring what you learned in the project with you. So no matter where I lived, it didn't it didn't leave me. So uh, I just bring it to another apartment. The demon of suicidal thoughts started to cling on to me because my life was just a wreck. And um, now uh, suicide thoughts were coming in my head. Um, and uh, soon after that, uh, I was I was just at the end of like being ready to take myself out. I jumped out of a, a third story window, head first through the glass onto concrete and didn't break a bone. And then it was a year to date, exactly. This is how God works. It was a year to date, and I didn't even know it. It was just how it happened that I end up in the cafeteria of the Providence Rescue Mission. So I committed to the Providence Rescue Mission for a one-year program. It was the discipleship program. That's how Jesus works. Jesus works so funny and sometimes it's revealed to you after when you don't even realize what he's doing in your life and he changes your life drastically but he'll reveal the things that he does that you cannot explain and so all these things started happening after I got into the program uh, a lot of different things started happening they had uh, uh, classes that dealt with like my childhood, like the Genesis program, which took me back into my childhood and bring up things and rehash things that I needed to speak out, speak out and talk about so that my life would have been changed. Because when you start doing drugs and alcohol, that's when your character starts growing up. But the mission was changing all that. Jesus used the mission to change my life. Wasn't that a great story of God's transforming power that you just heard from Mark? I get excited because part of my job is hearing story after story of that men and women that came to the Providence Rescue Mission looking for a meal and getting a new life. 
And that's what the mission's about. Not only do we do a discipleship program for men and women for one year that encompasses clinical Christian counseling, life school classes, and education, but we start at the beginning. We start when people come in the door, they're desperate, they're hungry, they have no place else to turn to stay, they come to the mission. And we provide chapel service and a sit-down dinner and we provide their clothing essentials and their hygiene essentials. And we do that seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, we never close our doors. And that's to over 100 homeless men and women every night. And it's amazing, but the mission does more than that. Each week, we're now providing over 6,000 people in our state with essential emergency food boxes because the cost of living has increased so much. The people are struggling to pay their rent. How are they gonna feed their kids fresh fruit or chicken or dinner? They come to the mission. Besides that, we're out on the streets where the homeless who aren't ready to come inside yet, their struggles are so deep, they'd rather live under a tree. We're there praying, encouraging, feeding, giving them the essentials and telling them how much God loves them. And all of this happens because of people like you. You see, the mission is 100% privately funded. We derive our support from individuals, businesses, and churches. But as you just heard Mark, it's great ground to invest in. There's so many more Marks and other people that have been touched by the love of Jesus Christ at the mission. And so if you'd like to get involved, if you'd like to be part of that success story, please visit our webpage, providencerescuemission.org. You can pray for the mission. You can volunteer at the mission. You can donate to the mission and continue the legacy of over 23 years of Christ using the mission in the state of Rhode Island to do more than just serve a meal. He changes a life. Thank you and God bless you. It's kind of like an obstacle course before you preach. Yeah, it's not really good for a guy my age. Equipment can fly. It's not good. Not good at all. Good morning. And it's really good to be here. It's always cool. I always think God's got a real sense of humor when he lets me preach, you know. I always think back, um, you know, 30, it's hard to believe, like 34 years ago, like back, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If any of the people I knew back then, if somebody said, you know, Sean's preaching Sunday, after they stopped laughing, they would have said, you're out of your mind. There's no way that guy could ever step into a church, and it's true drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, hater of God. That was me. If, if you were older, the older folks in the crowd will get it. If you remember, leave it to Beaver. Yeah, yeah. All right, somebody says, yeah, leave it to Beaver. This side where there's younger people, they're going, wait, what? Yeah, it's okay, it's all right, Google it. Google it, I'm sure you can find a YouTube clip. Uh, you should do the, if you remember Eddie Haskell. I, I was Eddie Haskell with drugs and uh, you know, I, I had that kind of a life, and um, you know, when Christ got a hold of my life at the church that I got saved in, they had a street ministry where they went out every Friday night and they took food down into the streets of Pittsburgh, and they would um, 
feed people and they would share the gospel with them. And I, was, I felt drawn to that right away. And uh, so I went and uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, so if you're new in church, don't worry about it. Take risk in your church. Don't be afraid. Because I went out with these people and they were like a SWAT team for Jesus. They had this van, right? And they'd pull up into the worst section of Pittsburgh and, and uh, you know, there'd be homeless people and drug addicts and drug dealers. They'd open the doors. They had tracks. They had Bibles. Like, hey, Juan, you, you need to get saved. And I'm like in the back of the van going, oh, would you like another piece of fruit? You know, like I, I, I was just saved. I didn't even know what I was doing. And I remember one time we drove up onto the street corner and I was in the passenger seat of the van and uh, the guy pulls up right in front of a drug dealer's corner. Like this is the corner he's working, right? So this is like business for him. And the drug dealer's all uptight. He's, he's wound tight. He's upset. I get it. Because we got like crosses on the van. You know, it's all about Jesus. You know, clearly we're going to cut into business that night. You know what I'm saying? So he gets to the window. I always remember this. And, and he starts threatening the driver. And they, he said, I could kill you right now. I could pull my gun on and kill you right now. I'll never forget the driver said, well, unless it's my time to die, you can't hurt me. I didn't think that back then. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, what if he misses you and shoots me? <laughs> right? So that's where I started. The reason I'm reading that, that's where I started about, you know, the people say, well, the mission's great, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I was nothing. You, you know, I, I really, I, I got saved. I uh, didn't go to college for ministry. I don't have a pastoral degree. I don't have a master's of divinity. Uh, I was just an atheist drug addict that got saved. Um, and then, it's funny, I titled this sermon, How Did I Get Here? And uh, there, there's actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a music guy, I'm a music buff, uh, and I grew up listening to rock and roll, and uh, I had the privilege at that time, there was such a different genre of music rolling through from disco to new age to punk to southern rock, you know, all of it. But there was one group, man, some people, I mean, Talking Heads. Anybody know Talking Heads? Yeah. <laughs> Even the young people, I know, they're kind of iconic, right? Well, they do a song called Once in a Lifetime, mm. right? If you know Once in a Lifetime. Yeah. And, and if you ever remember David Bryan doing, he does the video and he's like, same as it ever was, and he's doing the sleeve, right? Well, and it says, you know, part of the thing is, how did I get here? And it's interesting, he wrote afterwards, the interview, they said, what was the purpose of the Catalyst song? And his comment was, was he wrote once in a lifetime because it, it reflects about how we as people um, have tend to operate half awake or on autopilot. Half awake or on autopilot. And that, that resonated to me as a Christian. You know, and everything I talk about too, by the way, I'm not talking to you, I'm relating to me. It's like anything I talk about, it's not like, boy, I'm glad I'm not like you, you're like this. This is just, a lot of times like, hey, you guys might be all set and I might be the only guy in the room. It's all right, it's cool, you know? But I understood that and, and then I started thinking about, well, where's that relevant in the Bible? So I started praying, I came with a guy, Peter, Peter. I can't wait to meet Peter. I really want to meet Peter. You know why I want to meet Peter? It's because I identify with Peter. If you read about Peter, Peter was all over the map. Hey, Peter, God loved Peter. I, I get it. No condemnation to Peter. I like, I probably, you know, one minute he's walking on water, the next minute he's sinking like a stone. 
Well, you know, it took a little bit of moxie to get out of the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we take some of this stuff for granted. Like, you know, he's kind of, you see leadership qualities. Hey, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. Jesus, yo, come on out. He does. Yes, that's right. I mean, think about that. Have you been on the ocean? Have you been in the sea in a boat and somebody says, come on out, and you got out? We all tend to think about when he sank. Oh, he didn't have no faith. Jesus said he didn't have no faith. Boy got out of the boat. Give him a little props. The boy got out of the boat, right? But he, but he was like that the whole time. One minute he's with Jesus. Jesus says, who am I? He says, he says well, you're the Christ. Jesus says, well, the Holy Spirit could only have told you that. Next minute, Jesus is going, get behind me, Satan. I can identify. I, I'm okay. I'm there with Pete. I'm all right, right? And then, you know, you look at Peter. One minute, Jesus says, well, I got to wash your feet. Mm. Peter, well, no, if you're going to wash my, I don't want my feet washed head to toe. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? Now you're trying to control the son of man and what he does? <laughs> I can identify. <laughs> and is it me? Am I unique? Or are you guys in this, right? How many do we? So I just want to touch a little bit because I really love it. And, you know, and I could imagine Peter reflecting Thinks to himself, how did I get here? How did I get here? Because, you know, it's interesting. You know, Peter was common and uneducated. Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. And, and at the time of the Jewish nation, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, that was a commoner's job. It wasn't a high-tech gig. You weren't buying uh, a penthouse anywhere. It was hard labor sweaty labor, and you can read about it in the Bible a couple of times, and, and he was a common man. And, and Jesus called him one day, and he said, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. And it says that Peter immediately left his livelihood and followed Jesus. And we all want to give, I know I do, say, wow, wow, Peter, what a bold guy. But I would contend to you that it was the Holy Spirit falling upon him for the first time to convict him of something he didn't really understand. Because there's no way you could understand. I mean, if you think about the logic of that, if you think about there's this guy, he's got a living, it was a family business, yada, 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 yada. And this guy you've never met before, somebody says, oh, this is Jesus, you gotta meet this cat. Right? And Jesus looks at you and says, hey, come on, let's go. Okay. And he walks away. That wasn't Peter so much in other things. Is I think he, for the first time, was stirred by the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I identify with that is that's kind of what happened to me when I got saved. Being an atheist, being somebody that hated God, being somebody that thought Christians were a joke, when Christ touched me, it wasn't me. It wasn't like I had some revelation, like, well, I'm, I'm drinking and drugging a lot, and I can't seem to get my life together. Maybe I'll try Jesus. I, no, no. In desperation, I was at the point of committing suicide. I was actively committing suicide, about to kill myself, run my car into a bridge and bump, and then let go of the steering wheel. I'd taken my seatbelt off. And for some bizarre reason, to this day, I can only attribute to God, I said, God, if you exist, help me. Mm -hmm. That's all I said. 
had no idea that the Bible said if any man asks God for wisdom, meaning God's direction for you in his life, he'll give it to you. Because that's a universal promise of the Bible. It's just like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Universal promise. There's conditional universal promise. Those are universal. And immediately the compulsion to kill myself was lifted, which was cool because I'm here today. I'm not a box of bones which is a bonus for me. I've got a wife, four kids, two grandkids. I've got friends. I, I've known Scott in his church for years and other churches. I get to run the mission. Who am I? How did I get here, right? But God's funny that way. He touches you before you know him. I tell that to the people in addiction that we deal with, the people in the street we do all the time. You don't, you're an enemy of God when God touches you. You're not his friend. You're not, you're not like, if you look in the Bible, this is something sometimes when we'll talk about, we really need to realize. I can only identify three types of people in the Bible. There's only three groups of people I can identify in the Bible. Those that are born again and spirit-filled. And now we can all have theological debate to what that means. I, I don't care. What I see as spirit-filled is that I can name Jesus Christ as my Savior. After that, greater minds than me, I don't, the mission's kind of like the Switzerland of denominations. We tell everybody, leave your denomination in the trunk of your car because a denomination never saved anybody. Right. Only Christ Jesus saves. Right. And I'm all for denominations, don't get me wrong. I think God's cool. God's like, nah, they can't just handle vanilla. <laughs> no, 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 let's get 31 flavors out. And some of them want chocolate. Some of them want two or three scoops. I don't know, just get a bunch of flavors. We'll sort it all out in glory. We'll sort it out in heaven. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because everybody's going to be confused. You're used to going to your church, all of a sudden you're in heaven and you're like, who am I with? You look to the guy to the right, you don't know him. Right? You're just praising God and having a good time. Say, like, wait a second, I thought he was Pentecostal. <laughs> Whoa, there's a Baptist over here. Holy smokes, there's a Catholic. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know? Because one of the things that I believe deeply and, I, and we preach at the mission is it's not about religion, it's about relationship. That's right. You know, you know and, and so I, I laugh about, you know, I, I laugh about that. But, you know, when you look at the Bible, there's people that are born again and spirit-filled. There's people that are demonically oppressed. And there's people that are demonically possessed. And I don't know if you've thought about that, but that's life here. That's life here. When you meet people, yes. if they're not saved, it's not good. That's right. That's right? If like, and if you're here today and you're not saved, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you're here and you're saved, you know what I'm talking about That's if you think right. back about what it was like before you got saved, right? Exactly. Like life wasn't good. Life wasn't good. And somebody told you about Jesus, you said, oh yeah, I need that. Salvation isn't logical. Salvation doesn't make sense to, to us. Salvation's when you're an enemy of God, even though he's enemy, he uses something, something, someone to touch you, and all of a sudden you have a craving for Jesus. You can't explain that. I can't explain it, but yet it happens. That's why the gospel is so important. That's why Peter's life is so relevant. Peter's life is relevant because he went from a commoner. I say, he went from a commoner. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, great, Siri. What the heck? <laughs> You don't understand, Siri. That's the whole point. I don't even know how to turn you off. What the heck? I get this little dot spin in here. What? I, what? 
All right, maybe Siri needs to hear the gospel. I have no idea. But, <laughs> but you know, Peter went from a common man, if you think about it, to a follower. He was a follower. That was the whole time when he was up, down, left, right, up, and down. He was a maniac. I mean, can you imagine? And, and, and I'm going to... I'm going to get into just a little bit of scripture that I find Peter is great with this, but up, I'm going to lead up to this, but he was a follower. All the disciples were. They were out of their minds. They're with Jesus walking for three and a third years, and then one of the, a couple of them had mom go to Jesus to make them the leader. Can you imagine your mom going to Jesus? Yeah, go mom, tell him. See if I can be his right-hand guy. Wait, what? But it's true. It's an, I don't know everywhere in the scripture. My mind's not that way, like I said. I didn't go to, I, I just read the scripture. I can remember scripture. But if you say, where was that in the Bible? Google it. Okay, I'm just not that guy. Some of them I know, but a lot of them, I, I just, my head hurts. I don't have enough room anymore. But can you imagine mom going to Jesus saying, could my son be your number two? These people are all over the map. If you read about the disciples, it wasn't that they didn't care. They were followers. A lot of us in church are followers. They knew Jesus. They went with Jesus. I mean, like I said, Peter, come with me. Okie doke, off he walks. And, and he gave up everything for Jesus. And a lot of times we say, well, I've given my life to Christ. I've given my life to Christ. And, and, and you know, so I'm saved. Outstanding. That's like a seed going, I'm a seed. Yeah, and now what? And if nobody plants the seed, I'm not it, sure I understand. Oh, that. stop it. <laughs> Maybe I can turn the volume down. I am not technologically sound. That's why people go, Do you have a PowerPoint? Look at me. Do I look like I have a PowerPoint? <laughs> I got Siri talking to me like an animal. I can't find the volume button. The whole thing's ugly. Oh, there it is. Let's see if that am I doing? No, that's up. There we go. That's done. And now it just turned off. But we're followers. We can be followers. You can be in church, be a follower your whole life. You can go to heaven. If Peter would have done nothing else, Peter would have gone to heaven. If Peter, when Jesus died, because they all went back to what they used to do before they were heaven. By the way, if you ever think yourself doing stuff in ministry and you get down and you say to yourself, oh man, this is, this is hard work, you know, I, I, and you feel like you're, don't worry. <laughs> Look at Jesus. Seriously, 12 guys, Three and a third years, miracles, raising people from the dead, healing the blind, paraplegics, thousands fed at one gate. Do you ever think about, do you ever read the sermon where Jesus preaches and then feeds 5,000? Think about this, what these guys saw, right? So that's 5,000 men. And it had women and children. So you're probably somewhere between, anywhere between, let's say, 10 and 20,000 people. There were none of these. How'd they hear Jesus? How did 15,000 people in a field? I got a big voice. Seriously, listen. I got a big voice. Nobody's ever said, nobody's ever said, if you could just speak up. Okay? Can you imagine Jesus talking to 15 or 20,000 people and they heard him? How did that happen? It was a miracle. 
the disciples saw, because we all focus on the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, which is chill. But he spoke to 15 or 20,000 people. No electronics, no acoustic dome. He's in a field sitting on a hill, or he's on a boat. You ever go on the ocean and try to talk? Yeah, we read this stuff in the Bible and go, oh, he was on the ocean, he's on a boat. It's windy. He go out by the ocean, it's windy. He's talking over, he, cal he calms the sea. I mean, think about that. They saw this stuff. Jesus gets crucified. What, what the heck happens? One betrays him. One denies him. Oh, that was Peter. And the other ten scatter like sheep. I just want to encourage you if you do ministry. If that's Jesus' track record, you're good. You're good. Because it's God's. It's not ours, right? Amen. But so you see this in Peter. Peter was a follower. Peter was a follower. He wasn't committed. He was committed to a degree. He knew, he claimed Christ to be who Christ was. But he didn't have purpose. He wasn't all in. He was in, but he wasn't all in. You know, that's why it's so important, that part in the, where, he, where he, uh, he says to Jesus, was Jesus at the Last Supper, says, you know, I'm going to go be crucified, yada, yada, yada. Jesus, Peter goes, no way. He goes, I'll die for you. you know, a half hour later, he's taking a nap when Jesus tells him to pray. Like I said, I'm with Peter. <laughs> you know, Jesus, I pray. I mean, Peter put in it snoozing. But they come, to get they come to get Jesus and talks about, if you read about it, Peter goes and he tries to, he cuts off the ear. Yep. Sorry, he, he wasn't trying to cut his ear off, just in case you didn't know. The Romans had developed, I'm a, I'm a history geek. Um, yeah. The Romans had developed uh, a very interesting sword that they used. And it, it was primarily used because they were the first um, empire that instead of traditionally what the empires would do, they'd come in and they'd conquer. You read about it in the Bible. They take everything, one, and they burned and pillaged everything, took it all to the ground. Yeah. How many times the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. That was how the ancient societies would work. The Romans came in and said, wait a second. What if we didn't do that? What if we put governments in place that would do our bidding and we'll let the people keep their places and we'll work them and we'll take all their stuff. Right. That was the Romans. And they said, well, when we do this, people are probably getting upset and there's different weapons to use for war, different lengths of swords, different spears, different uh, things. But in crowd control, those things didn't work. So they created a new sword. This was one of the things the Romans did. It was a shorter sword. It was about yay long. It was wider. It was thicker, and it was heavier, and it had a big metal ball on the end of the handle, and it could be used with one hand. The reason why they created that was for crowd control. Mm. So they could use it, like they could smack you on the head with it and not kill you. They could, they could fend off the crowd versus fighting, and if they had to kill you, they would. That's the kind of weapon Peter probably had, because that was common at the time. So you got to imagine that Peter was serious when he said, I'll, I'll die for you. He wasn't going to let it happen. Again, kind of like Jesus is God saying, this is what I got to do. My father sent me here. Peter goes, no, that's not good enough. Can't let that happen. And he tried to kill. He was actually trying to come down with a crossing um, strike to hit the guy here because this is down by where if you hit here with that sword like that, you can shatter a vertebrae and kill them. By, and also kind of in the neck, 
but it was dark. They didn't have these nice lighting. They kind of had rags on sticks. So the lighting was not good. And he missed, he hit him in the ear. Jesus obviously heals the guy's ear. So what I'm saying, Peter was committed to Jesus. But he was a follower. But you see, when he denied Jesus, I find this incredibly interesting. When he denied Jesus three times in the portico or the porch of Ananias, the high priest, when Jesus was getting brutalized by the guards, beaten and beard ripped out and stuff like that. Peter was over there denying. First, he denied it when he first got there to a woman's servant, but then he denied it two more times. But interestingly, the Bible says that he was standing over a coal fire, warming himself. Now, that's really important because later on, in uh, Matthew 4.18, after Jesus rose and said that Jesus was walking by, they were walking by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus noticed his two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Or no, I'm sorry. And he says, uh, wait, I lost sight of there. Where, where'd it go? Hold on, Sorry. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. John 21, 15. After they had dined, when, after Jesus rode, they were back on the Sea of Galilee and they didn't recognize Jesus immediately. And Jesus invites them to eat. And it says uh, that Jesus was cooking the fish over a charcoal fire. Now, the reason why that's important is I do a lot of barbecuing. I like to eat. Look at me. I like to eat. I'm not a vegan. Nothing against vegans, not me. I'm eating protein, I like french fries, okay? I'm in, I, I've been barbecuing meat since I was in high school. Interestingly, your nose, right? Your nose is probably one of the senses that always senses things first. Before you see something, before you hear something, you almost always smell something. Smell impacts us. You can walk into a room and you can smell something and it'll take you back to when you were a child. You can smell your wife's perfume 30 years after marriage and if she's wearing the same perfume, you can remember your first time you met her. So imagine Peter, when he smelt the charcoal, where do you think it took him? Back to when Jesus he denied him, right? And the first, and he knew who Jesus was, and Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter goes, of course I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And again, he says, Simon, Peter, Lovest thou me? And he says, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. And a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter's getting upset. Yeah. Almost to a point, because he was a very, we know Peter was a very emotional guy. Mm -hmm. Just from when he denied Jesus, what'd he do? He swore and he ripped his garments. He was so ashamed. So we know Peter was an emotional guy. Peter was, some people are more calm. I'm not, I'm not a calm guy. You can kind of tell. 
right? I'm a pretty, I'm, again, why I want to meet Peter? He and I can probably have a cup of coffee together. Peter, lovest thou me? Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. It, I believe, yes, Jesus was confronting him about his denial. But I believe it was there that Peter got his purpose. He went from being a follower, he went actually from being a commoner unsaved man to a follower of Christ, to a follower of our Christ that had purpose. And a follower of Christ that has purpose is a follower that's willing to leave everything behind be willing to pour themselves out for the sake of the gospel. Not for their sake, not for being close. In our world today, in our country, we're very much more experiential as a church than other parts of the world. If you go to places in Central America, Africa, uh, uh, um, you go over into the Middle East, the focus is much, much more on giving everything up to preach the gospel to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. You, you sit down and talk with me, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, we had, we had 500 people in an open air service. We preached the gospel. That's why it's so important at the mission. We preach the gospel. Because everything here is temporary. You don't get to take spit with you when you leave here. Nothing. No matter what you're doing here today, if it doesn't have eternal value, it's gonna rot on the face of the earth or somebody else is gonna get it. You, get, ever watch Willy Wonka? The original, I don't like the Johnny Depp one. The original, yes. at the end, yes. I loved it because his office, everything's in half, right? The, the, the clock's on like this, you know, right? And, and, and Grandpa's like, well, what, what, what about the, and, and he goes, you get nothing. Guess what, when you die, you get nothing. You take nothing. You don't even take anything. I don't care what it is. You get nothing. But the gospel, if we have purpose, if we look at purpose, great things happen on this earth. But we store our treasure in heaven. Soul winning, preaching, compelling, the lost to Christ. We can't save anybody. If I, listen, if I was that good, if I could save people, you couldn't even have gotten me here today without some sort of retainer fee. <laughs> I would have written books. I'd had a private car. I drive a 2015 minivan. I can't save anybody. But my passion to compel the lost to Christ that Christ can save them. Yes, amen. That they don't go to hell. Hell's real. Okay. It's a real place. It's not a joke. It's not theoretical. I mean, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven in the four gospels. Again, not a theologian, just some research I did. And so you see Peter going from being a common man to a follower, to a man with purpose. And what do you see Peter do? Day of Pentecost. Peter stands up. Peter, the denier, stands up. Again, crazy thought. 
The Bible identifies everybody, all their languages that were there. Peter spoke and they all understood him. 3,000 people got saved that day. The Bible makes sure to let us know that when Peter became a man of purpose, the first thing that happened after the day of Pentecost was he went out and he poured himself out. A miracle happened. They all understood the different languages and 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. I can't remember the last time I heard that happen. 3,000 people. 3,000 people. That's crazy. But we, in some ways, I think I've forgotten. Jesus hasn't changed. It's not like Jesus says, well, I'll do it for the first couple of years with the first 12. After that, they're on their own. Jesus hasn't changed. So if Jesus hasn't changed, I would contend to you that maybe I've changed. Maybe my purpose was confused. Maybe I'm getting away from what's important to Jesus. Maybe I got away a little bit sometimes. I've been guilty of getting away from what was important to God. I mean, God gave his only begotten son. I got two boys. I'm not giving my boys to anybody. Right? Right. Oh, here we go again. Dang, damn it. But my point is, is you see Peter become this dynamic sold out Christian miracles. My favorite, favorite part. How am I? Oh, good, I'm good on time. Okay, we're going to get out of here on time, I think. No, we will. Oh, I know. You don't understand nothing. My favorite is Acts 3. Acts 3. I'm not going to read through all of it, but you can take a look at it. Peter's wife. One of the things that's interesting is back in the time of Christ, back in the time of the Jewish nation with Peter, the temple had roads that led to it. And they didn't have a social safety net, social service safety net at the time of Christ. There was no SNAP, there was no unemployment, there was no disability, uh, there, there was none of that. If you were uh, lame or something was wrong with you, you would line the streets leading to the temple and you would beg for gifts so you wouldn't die. So envision if you had to come to church every day and there was hundreds of homeless people lining the streets, blind people, people with gnarled up hands, begging before you went into worship. It would probably change your perspective a little. That's right. right? So that's how it was and is in Jerusalem at the time. And it says that Peter was going to temple for prayer in the ninth hour. And it says, a certain man lame from his mother's womb uh, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed, or he listened unto them, expecting to receive something physical, money. He wanted money. Peter looks at him and goes, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up 
and walk. And it says, and he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and leaping stood up and walked and entered with them, praising God and entered into the temple. Now, interesting. Does anybody here believe that when Peter woke up that morning, he said, I'm in the mood to do a miracle. I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna heal somebody. Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that was Peter's mindset when he went to temple? Absolutely not. But because he was a man of purpose, his sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit changed. Peter was fueled by the Holy Ghost. Now we can all start debating again theologically, what does that mean today? I don't know, I don't care. All I know is when we start getting up in our day and saying, the as weird as this sounds, I preached on this. I'm not going to preach on it today because I've got six minutes, but that would be crazy. But go read the Our Father. We all know that. I was born Roman Catholic. I memorized that from when I was a kid. It's four verses, and one of the verses, as the disciples asking Jesus how to pray, the Our Father is literally three verses, and the whole focus is on God's will being done. On, you're asking God to use you yes. to do his will, yes, just like it's being done in heaven. Think about, think about what that means. There's no unsaved people in heaven. There's no unsaved people in heaven. There's no disconnected people in heaven. There are people that pray and worship the King of kings and the Lords of lords. And Peter got it. He had purpose. His purpose was, I want to see as many people, God using me to see people do the will of the Father on earth yes. as it is in heaven. That's right. The message hasn't changed. That's right. The message hasn't changed. That's, right. That's why we do the mission. Mm-hmm. I don't do the mission because I'm a good guy. That's right. I don't do the mission because I had some great... Half the time, I don't even know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know how the mission runs. I don't know how we, we, we went from an $84,000 annual budget to $1.2 million. Again, if you think that I'm that smart, I should have written a book. I should have been on Oprah. I should have had a car drop me off. I'm not that guy. I'm a simple, former drug addict, alcoholic atheist that got saved. And Christ touched me and gave me purpose. What I would contend to you is that this is a room full of people that have purpose, are using their purpose, or are looking for your purpose. What I would contend to you is, is the more you focus on the purpose of your Father for you for this temporary life, and this is very temporary, by the way. The Bible tells us that our life on this earth is but a vapor. So me being a guy that wants to know one cold winter day, I said, my life's but a vapor. Went out in the cold, took a deep breath, exhaled and I counted about 2.5 seconds and the vapor was gone. So I said to myself, huh, in the eternity of time with God, my time on this earth is about 2.5 seconds. I better get busy. That's right. I don't have a lot of time. That's right. See, this isn't our home. <laughs> Let Christ impart his purpose to you. If he's done it, sell out. If you're not sure, talk to some people that know. Look for some people that are about his purpose and go there. All right, I'm done with you. I'm just so done with you. I'm so done with you.
There you go. You'll understand that. It'll change your life. And all the things, here's the crazy thing, and I'll finish with this. All the things that you hope and dream and wish for, all more come about when you're about your father's purpose. I always wanted a family. I always wanted kids. I always wanted grandchildren. I always wanted people to see me as a man of, of purpose and of vision. I always wanted to change. Even before I knew the Lord, I wanted to impact people. And once I found my purpose in Christ, I got a wife of 29 years. I got four wonderful kids. I got two grandkids. I've got the ministry that I'm allowed to do. Now, it hasn't been easy. I've been poor as dirt. Okay, I, haven't, I can guarantee your pastor can identify with being poor as dirt running a church. Am I lying? Am I lying? I'm not lying, am I? It's tough. They don't talk about it much. But the blessings, the focus, the drive, waking up every day and expecting miracles, expecting God to do things that you could never imagine. That's right. 34 years, it hasn't gotten old. That's right. So as I finish, I want to encourage you. Jesus created you for greatness. That's right. He didn't create you to be average. Jesus has never created anything average. All the way down to an ant. They're not average. They're sacrificial. They communicate. They build. They do things. Bees. If the, you realize if there wasn't bees, we couldn't breathe? Everything God created, he created for magnificence and purpose to bring glory to his name. He created you to bring glory to his name. You are valuable to Christ. You are important to Christ. You have purpose. Tap into it. You're Peter. You're Peter. He's not that great of a guy. He was, he was a guy, though, that got, when he connected with God, when he got real with God, he found his purpose, and he never looked back. God bless you guys. Amen.